Welcome. All right, guys. We're back. We're here today. Myself, obviously, John Calfian. My co-host, Bobby Nealon. What's going on? Today, we're here with uh, Derek Turks from Terminus. That's right. Founder, uh, CEO, and uh, head honcho over there. How's it going, man? It's it's great. It's good to be here. Appreciate yeah, you no, thanks coming. For coming. So we'll kind of jump in like we normally do. You know, just give us a kind of brief background. When did you kind of get into uh, in, into energy? Yeah. Um, how did you? You know, where'd you go to school? Yeah. What did you study? How How did that all kind of evolve to get you to the the? Yeah. So my my whole career path has really been the story of um, slowly, slowly kind of working my way back to what I always kind of wanted to do since like middle school or junior high. Um, the The oil and gas thing was a little unexpected. So my my background, the the, the resume version is I'm a I'm actually a mechanical engineer by degree. Woo. Went yeah went to University of Texas. I'll hook them horns. Um, but uh, no, I, I kind of got mechanical engineering was a degree that you took because you didn't really know what you wanted to do. Um, the most diverse one, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, anywhere. the pitch was you could kind of do anything. But mm-hmm. in practice, what that meant is you were going to sit in a cubicle and design, you design know, sprockets stuff. for yep. Caterpillar or whoever. Um, my dad's a petroleum engineer. My my Actually, a lot of my family, both sides of my family, kind of have some oil and gas industry history. There's actually a cardboard cutout of one of my ancestors up in the... Um, Oh, Titusville, Pennsylvania, the Drake yeah. Well, the first oh, oil yeah. well I've in, been there. in the U.S. So you'll see Opa Turk there. That's a that's awesome ancestor of mine. So we we've got some history there. But, highly uh, highly recommend checking that yeah, out if you're ever in that area. It's not that far from Pittsburgh. It is. Uh, it's worth the trip. Really too. cool. Yeah. yeah, percussion drilling. You think about that for a second. Like, holy cow! You can even take home some oil from the oldest yeah. producing well in the country. I've yeah, got some sitting on my desk. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I mean, I, 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 so I got into computer programming as like a, probably a, honestly a little kid, like yeah. fifth or sixth grade. Like on um, basic or? Yeah, like, writing, writing visual basic macros nice. in Word, right? Because oh, it wow. was, and this is, this is how some, mic, you know, there's a whole, I won't go into this rant, but basically Microsoft kind of screwed everyone for lack of a better word when it came to learning programming. Um, a lot of the PCs and kind of the prior generation, if you, if you grew up five to 10 years before, I did, um, you know, you might have like a Commodore 64 and it would come with basic pre-installed. Mm-hmm. It would boot into a programming environment. Windows was a lot more of a kind of a, a consumer device, right? Um, granted with 20 years hindsight, it's like nothing compared to iPads and, and phones, but, <laughs> but you know, still it was, it was fundamentally not designed to, to make you nudge you in the direction of being a programmer. And so, you know, it, as a kid, I kind of discovered this thing and I was like, oh my God, I can like you can have a button and when you click it, it's like, guess the number. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just really cool. Really awesome games. Right. I didn't have a Nintendo. So that was my, anyway, yeah, cheap what? entertainment. <laughs> oh no, man. That's, um, and, and so, you know, I, I kind of being in high school in the midst of, I guess the, the dot-com boom followed by the dot-com bust. Um, all the advice I got was like, oh no, don't study computer science. That's a, yeah. <laughs> that's a dead end. You know, that'll be, that'll be over in, in five years. And, uh, so I, you know, anyway, took mechanical engineering as kind of a didn't really know what the heck to do. Spent the entire degree trying to find ways to work kind of programming into that. And what at the time we, you know, AI is this funny word, right? Because yeah. it's just always whatever's like five years out. So at the time, AI meant stuff like genetic algorithms and these wacky kind of global optimization techniques. That Anyway, so we played with a bunch of that stuff as kind of a, a hobbyist all through, through college and um, ended up kind of, you know, my given the family history, I had a lot of people trying to persuade me that the the oil and gas industry, or I guess what we now have to call the energy sector, um, is a good place to be. And uh, took some internships, kind of enjoyed it. A lot of interesting stuff going on, a heck of a lot more than what was going on in the more conventional mechanical engineering yeah. world. Because you, you, I mean, it, it really, the comparison was like, you, you were going to sit in a cube and be responsible for sprockets on this particular line of, of tractors yep. versus, you know, and, and I kind of, was was strongly drawn to reservoir engineering where, where you sort of see this whole picture yeah, of right. these you know multi-million dollar operations start to finish and the entire life cycle these big capital projects it's and important and, yeah, and it, yeah and it feels like you're actually Dynamic, fundamentally producing right. you know i hate to say it but my my wife uh catherine also a mechanical engineer by background also did something totally different um went into the chemical industry we talk about making molecules right like there's a and it, it sounds weird because I'm, I'm on a tech podcast and obviously we're kind of in a tech role um, but I just, I love the draw of working with people or working in industries that actually produce tangible, yeah. mm-hmm. tangible stuff. Yeah. Right. We don't, we don't do a lot of that anymore in the U S that's, that's, that's as deep as I'll go down that rabbit hole, but that's, no, that's, 
Yeah, there's a draw there for me. It's true. I I didn't take my PE exam because I was like, I'm not gonna go. I don't want to go do that. I don't yeah. want to go design parts. And then if they fail, right, be out of a job for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. I also didn't trust myself uh, mathematically. <clears> oh my god. Like, yeah, that's a lot I'll of tell stress. You, tell you, it is to... differential equations pretty much ruined any dreams I have. Oh, yeah. Becoming a uh, <laughs> getting a PhD in Mackey or becoming yeah. a yeah, that was I still remember the spring equation from Diffie. Yeah, the, the really the only thing I remember from yeah. it. Though. <laughs> oh god, yeah, Hooke's law. Or, mm. Well, no, not even Hooke's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having flashbacks there. No, there. So uh, yeah, like no joke. One thing that really drew me to programming is all the math is. Like there's no real numbers. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's all integers. It's all discrete math. If there, there's like an alternate world where they taught kids discrete math in in middle school, and I would have loved it. Like that just would have made math <laughs> yeah. versus geometry, right? Or or in, in calculus. But oh well, it, you know it is what it is. Um, so those of us who who can't do the calculus are kind of drawn to yeah integers. Yeah, it's fu it's funny because it's like it's one or the other. I feel like generally, yeah, right. Like yeah. I'm a very visual person, yeah. and I'm also very i'm too logical at times and so like if it's theoretical math where it's like What's prove the... this proof yeah why yeah someone else already did it yeah. i don't care yeah <laughs> like yeah and that was basically my college experience yeah, well, yeah. I, mean, I mean that's <laughs> oh, shit yeah. that's what half of cal and me in college is is just proofs, yeah. right? and derivations just right. endless derivations and, and so yeah. it's like i was a c calculus student but i was an a physics student using the same calculus but yep. it's just applied and it's just it's yeah I, I i remember getting a kind of handwritten red ink note on one of my fluid mechanics exam that basically <laughs> said well not basically literally said you do not understand the principles of bernoulli's <laughs> equation and i was like yeah you're right that's right <laughs> i don't understand this at all um so it was you know it was educational but uh long story short i my, i kind of almost immediately discarded a degree other yeah. than as a you know a, a kind of line item on a resume yeah. and uh, ended up going to work for for devon energy okay uh, nice. first in houston and then uh up in oklahoma city later and um kind of found my way into being a, a reservoir engineer in their their new ventures group right okay, so, you were in the new ventures yeah, yeah. And so, what, and, and so new ventures, you know, this was like 20, 2009, 2010, 2011. Devin was a little, little behind the curve on like Eagle Ford and in oil shale, or yeah. unconventional oil in general. Um, and so we were, we were trying to make sense of this stuff any way we could, um, including through reservoir simulation, which really, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think about some models I've done where you have basically no data and you kind of build this three layer cake and say, oh yeah, this is a, you know, under this massive set of error bars, here's the massive set of error <laughs> yeah. bars you get out. It's and somewhere it in just, here. Yeah, it's kind of a totally fruitless exercise. So what, what really started to to take off is is using more statistical approaches where we we, we started saying, you know, okay, I, I have no idea what the actual mechanics of this rock are, or what the, for that matter, even what the, what the properties are, right? right. You, you, there's a whole, you know, what is permeability in a shale? Well, let's see. We, uh, we drilled this core from 10,000 feet in South Texas. We took it up to the surface. We put it on a truck. We shipped it to Colorado. They crushed it up. Uh, they put a transient pulse of helium through it and measured the, and then differential equations comes in, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some fancy math with differential equations. And that turns into some number that they call system permeability. Right. You're like, I don't know what this has to do with anything. I can plug it in my model, but. So anyway, we, we started taking the approach of, well, here's what I can measure, whatever that is, right? Whatever variables we had. Right. Here's what I care about, right? Which is like IP30 or 69, whatever, some yeah. short-term production data you had. And you just started looking for, for correlations, right? Throwing, whether it was predictive models or just sort of, um, you know, things like clustering algorithms or, or any way to look for, for trends and patterns or, or even very modest kind of leverage on the problem of, especially as you got farther down the, the life cycle into like frack optimization you know, we may not understand any of the mechanics going on here, but man, we see that there's a, you know, we, we can get like a never trust any R squared above 0.8. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> but yeah. we can get like a 0. 0.72 right. um, on this model. And if we kind of, you know, hold everything else constant and lock in the average values for this reservoir and we, you know, we draw the response curve of like IP60 or, or IP90 or even six month cum if you live in paradise and have that. Um, <laughs> I can draw the response curve of that versus profit loading and hey, look, diminishing returns or some kind of S curve. And we mm -hmm. want to sit yeah. kind of like right here at the elbow. Yep. So we, you know, we started doing stuff like that. And it, it yeah, I was actually kind of the first staff engineer in, in Devon's um, 
I don't think they call it data science. I, I don't know what they call it now, but basically data science. Okay. Team. It, it grew out of reservoir engineering for the, the, the reservoir reservoir engineering technology group that sort of supported new ventures is how all those initiatives started at Dev. Interesting. And, and if we want to kind of tie this into like history lesson of what tools have you used and so like, what were yeah. you all using at the time to do some of that stuff? Oh man, this is one of those that's going to get me in trouble because this is like the why did I go? Well, all right. So there's there's a great episode of Always Sunny of Philadelphia yeah. where they like they put on a musical, <laughs> and it, and it, this question keeps coming up of like who are you? But who are we doing it versus? Right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm the kind of person of I've always got to be maybe it's weird, but my my motivation is typically like a, all right. But who am I doing this versus? Like what's really yeah. kind of grinding my gears lately? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names, but we a large three letter acronym statistical software vendor um, that I dealt with over the years. Um, provided very expensive tools, uh, very expensive consulting around those tools. And um, to be honest, we were kicking the crap out of their results with free software with at the time okay. things like R, um, honestly, a lot of the R ecosystem, a little bit of, I mean, my God, what was it, 2008? There was probably Perl scripts floating around, okay. a little yeah. bit of C++, Python, kind of a grab bag of everything, <clears throat> right. right? But um, you know, it was just kind of this shocking experience of seeing how industry was being you know, it's, it, our industry is a little bit conservative for better or worse. Yep. And so we're, we, we tend to be drawn to the big vendors The you know, nobody ever got fired for choosing IBM type approaches. 100%. Um, yeah. But man, it was, it was brutal seeing like how much the, it, and, and not just at, at the company I was at, but across the board, right. how much companies were spending mm -hmm. on some of these uh, big proprietary software packages. And then just like the quality of the output and the analysis versus what you could do for free, right. literally piggybacking off, uh, you know, obviously years of work by a lot of people. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was incredible. And, and so, you know, that one of the big factors in, in kind of realizing in 2013, I could, I could kind of jump out on my own and there was this need in the industry for, you know, the, the logic at the time is there were obviously a lot fewer people who could do, um, kind of what we call data science or, or analytics or whatever the, yeah. you know, the buzzword was, it changes. Um, and had the domain knowledge of, of right. oil and gas versus even what the, the big, you know, uh, software vendors mm -hmm. or, or IT consultancies could offer. I mean, it just, there, there was such a shortage. And of course this was, I think I've got a slide in, in a talk I've given a couple of times that shows like the Google, uh, engrams trends for like data science versus time. And of course, 2012, it just like shoots up cause yeah. it was, um, oh, Harvard business review. Well, and the times had the whole like, like sexiest. Uh, Right. The there was this article century. about, um, I, uh, I think they called it analytics or whatever, but Tom Davenport and then Moneyball blew up and you had all this, yeah. all these things kind of kicked in at the same time. And it, and it suddenly became like all anyone was talking about. Yeah. Sexiest job of the 21st yeah. century. Um, and then that guy went on to actually become the U.S.'s, the, the first official like U.S. national data scientist Did, yeah. right under Obama. It was this whole huh. PR. I mean, it, anyway, right. so it obviously the, the timing was right. And I kind of jumped out and, you know, uh, I was kind of liken it to like building the engine as the plane is in flight. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> but that's, that's a, a very good analogy. Yeah. Uh, so that was Devin into just, on yeah, your own, just, like, just jumped out on my own and um, went, went out independent. It, it was just me for uh, many years. And, and my wife, uh, Catherine, actually joined the company in 20. Well, this is terrible now. I don't remember. It's last couple of years, right? Yeah. yeah. It's been about two or three years. Um, again, coming from the, the chemical industry and kind of having some experience in things like predictive maintenance and there's a whole other world of like um things we can learn from in our industry that people yeah. have been doing in in these kind of very you, companies that we tend to think of as kind of boring or conventional but you look at your well, you i mean know, your, your lean manufacturing Dow, right like, yeah oh exactly literally right. the simplest <laughs> shit right? right like i was doing this as an intern right. in college and when I was an intern, it was 30 years old, Yeah, you know, and then uh, I'll never forget when I saw the uh, article in the uh, Chronicle, sorry, um, about Hess announcing that they were implementing lean manufacturing methods oh, yeah. in like the mid, like, yeah, yeah. whatever, 2015, 2016, yeah. something like that. I was like, this is 40 years old, guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. why is this no, yeah. front I mean, page worthy news? It <laughs> this is, is not um, a new thing. I've been in organizations where, you know, it, oh, there's a... Six Sigma, a new mm -hmm. exciting yeah. thing that, you know, like he says, has been done since the- <laughs> Toyota's been doing forever. Forever, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're finally kind of catching up with the hottest trends of the 80s. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, what, what's going on in Japan is really interesting. Mm -hmm. We yeah. really need to look into that. <laughs> um, 
that's we'll be my uh, agile and all that i mean it's like oh, the yeah, agile yeah. manifesto was however long ago and but yeah then we could probably even get into a whole how it's probably not the best workflow for data type projects yeah. no it's well that's a yeah there's a there's a whole conversation about what what is what even is agile yeah and it's if just you look doing at scrum of, every day right yeah exactly right <laughs> like any uh well that's a whole yeah. maybe i won't i won't say that on air but there's like a lot of movements in history when you look at what the original founders intended versus kind of what it got what it's turned into, into yeah. It's like, yeah oh my god uh, <laughs> very true <laughs> yeah so, I mean, one thing I wanted to kind of hit on, and people may or may not be aware that this was you, but there's the ARPS DCA package. Was that at yeah. Devon? Was that once you broke branched no, out? No, like um, that was something. And to be honest, I, I don't even remember what. I, I think that spun off from a, a project we did where we kind of, you know, ended up at having done a bunch of analysis. We, you know, we, we by necessity built a um, an R library for, for fitting ARPS declines and said like, well, this would be a cool thing to open source and, and kind of use as both a, well, number one, so people stop reinventing the wheel, right? Yeah. And because it, so it, a little bit of boring history, but it, at the time, Spotfire was probably still is, but it was kind of a, the BI tool that right. was, had, had taken a, a hold in the, the oil and gas industry. And Spotfire went for a long time, had, had no real programmatic interface beyond Iron Python, which you could actually sort of, we, we had tools of Devon. Well, that which would, and what, S plus? Well, not. Not even at that point. I think, like, I think they had an external interface to it, but it, it was pretty obscure. Like, okay, it, yeah, because my I started with Spotfire twenty fourteen. Okay, yeah. So like at that point they had S plus yeah. and I think right. Terra was on its infancy. But yeah. Like, so it, at Devon we had um I, I remember this project we had a I, I built a, a random forest model for frac optimization like in the I think it was in the Barnett Shale, and what I ended up actually having to build is kind of a. Okay, I'm going to say, for lack of a better word, a, a compiler that would translate that generated random forest model. In other words, those those mm -hmm. tree, kind of the the <clears throat> the decision tree, right? The, yeah. The kind of if ends in, in the random forest to um, to Iron Python oh, wow. code that we would then run in Spotfire so that we could actually embed the model. And of right. course, now you know they they've got Tibco for whatever reason decided the the real way to to uh, open up custom code inside Spotfire was to sort of white room implement our odd choice yeah. given it's already open source but whatever I think they wanted to own it and so that, that was terror which is kind of this almost compatible re-implementation of R and and now I you know you said so, right so you can write R code to implement sort of custom calculations inside Spotfire yeah. um and that took off about the time we released ARPS DCA because people started asking like oh cool like if we have R code to do this we can run it in Spotfire and so all right well yeah put that out and that's kind of what made that that blow up um and yeah people it, it's really funny like i've had the experience multiple times um of getting an email it, you know in my capacity of, of as terminus let's say it's like hey we've been using this uh this r package called arps dca and we're we're looking for someone to help us integrate it with spotfire <laughs> and then every once in a while i'm just like Look at the author. Yeah, <laughs> the author tag on the. Yeah, yeah, we can help. I think yeah. I can help. Maybe. Might, might, might be able to help you with that. Yeah. I think I'm fa fairly familiar with that yeah. chunk of code. Yeah, it's funny how uh, some of that stuff wraps back around when you when you publish code as as open source. It's, yeah, it's funny. Are are there still uh, commits and stuff? Uh, you know yeah every once in a long while I'll, I'll take a bug report or something it's i i don't think we've made meaningful changes to it in years and years i, I mean I don't the arps equations haven't changed yeah the yeah, arps yeah. equations haven't changed i'm not saying it's kind of perfect or flawless but it's you know it, it seems to do what it's intended to and we we don't do a lot of our work these days i i don't think the industry i like it all comes back like in our industry it all comes back to Spotfire. so as soon as Spotfire open up the right. ability to write data functions in python that kind of you know, yeah, ours lost its luster. <clears throat> yeah, and I think we were kind of talking about that the other day on the, the upstream Slack channel, just even yeah. about the, how R and then now there's Julia, but it's a matter of like, well, you know, is it too yeah. late to the party? And you know, there's yeah, that's, there are better options. But I mean, like, I I personally love R. I mean, yeah. as far as like, I I would like to use it more, but then there's still this whole can't use R in production thing, and there are it's, there are limitations yeah, to it. I mean, it's I I have such mixed feelings because it's a like it. It's an interesting specimen as a programming language. Yeah. It's not a good programming language, but it's a it's a really interesting one when yeah. you put it in context of sort of like what is it, like what is it really? And that's probably a that's probably for a different podcast. Yeah. But it's 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 a living fossil. It's uh it's actually right. kind of in the Lisp family of languages, and it it's actually obscure even within that because of the way it implements um, 
well, like Hadley Wickham would call it lazy evaluation, but what it, what it really is, is like this other thing called F experts, which is, there was like one researcher that was into this and he's dead. So it doesn't, anyway, like I said, topic for a different podcast. Um, it's kind of a coelacanth, but you know, the, the thing that are, so I, like, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I am also a believer in like, don't use R in production. And, and for me that, that comes from using our in production, <laughs> in production <laughs> um, and just discovering like testing some of the, suites and yeah, just, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like Python's great either, no, but, it's, but it's more robust. I've got plenty of gripes on Python, but there, there's also kind of the, the it, it all comes back to fashion and network effects. Right. And it's like, there's, there's safety in numbers. Um, yeah. The thing I miss from R is actually the, the graphics, right? The plotting. Yeah. Uh, we, we were, we mean my wife and I were talking about this the other day as, as one does at Terminus HQ on just how there's, there's, in our opinion, there's a really no nice, easy to use um, sort of JavaScript or, or web client side graphics library um, that produces good output out of the box, right? And I, I know people write, write in with they're like, oh, high charts, Plotly, yeah, 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 whatever, I know. But um, I, but, but you gotta remember, I'm, I'm comparing to like ggplot2 and, right. and yeah. graphics and just like, I don't think people who didn't use that understand how easy it was to just right. say like, I've got this data frame, hey, show me, um, you know, EUR versus uh, lateral length, but break it out in panels by uh, landing zone. Yeah. And it, and it was a one-liner, right? There right. was kind of this domain-specific language yeah. for- it, it, it just have all the setup yeah. for the think, plot right. and all I think that. there's someone trying to implement grammar graphics for Python. I yeah. Find the, I think that'd be great. But I mean, because the one thing I, I liked, you talk about like for the web, you know, client side, you know, I loved in R, then the Plotly package, you could do ggplotly. And just yeah. basically plop your ggplot code inside of that wrapper, and it would yeah. just turn that into the interactive you know, web version too. So, yep. So yeah. I don't know. We were big D three fans, and I I think the, uh, the I think the monetization story there with um, what are they now observable HQ? Yeah, kind of the notebook. Uh, they'll 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 let you use D three, but they really really want to sell you a subscription to their cloud based right. interactive notebook thing, yeah. and it's it's made the the documentation just completely. <laughs> unusable um in my opinion i i'm kind of in the same boat with you my favorite thing about r versus python generally speaking is the r studio ide yeah yeah the variable yeah. explorer and the plot like yeah as an engineer i yep. like to and just generally speaking as a visual person yeah i like to be able to see okay as the code yep. runs there's my variables come popping in and yep. what is the value of said variable instead of having to put yeah, print into my Python yeah. statements. And, and I think we talked about this before too. Like the yeah. REPL is like a huge deal, and that's yeah. why like notebooks won't die. And that's what I mean. Like there's right, and 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 REPLs are so interesting to me because like so R. All right, we'll go into a little bit. So yeah, yeah let's go into R it, is is literally it is kind of descended from the Lisp family of programming languages, and so a lot of you know if if you kind of don't know what we're on about, there's there's this idea called a REPL, read, evaluate, print loop, or or an interactive interpreter, and it, it's kind of the thing you can do in in Python or R. Um, or I suppose JavaScript, if you drop into just like node from the command yeah. line where you can enter one line at a time or one, one statement at a time, if we, if we want to get real technical and, and have it evaluated and, and sort of, you know, see the result. Um, and if you're coming from something like Java or C++, you know, obviously it's like, oh my God, this is interactive. This is really cool. I don't have this compile step in my, in my loop. Um, but I think people have, you know, the generation that maybe started with Python or JavaScript doesn't really know the, the limits to which you can push that. Right. And so Lisp, the Lisp family of languages, um, in, in, in small talk, I, I would put in kind of a related category, really played with the limits of what you can do with, with interactive development. And so like if I'm in a common Lisp environment, and I have been once or twice in my life, um, sort of like you said with our studio, it, it's not just, oh, I'm entering a line and seeing the result. It's like, okay, I've got my pro my source text over here and I've got kind of a running, uh, you know, REPL over here. And then maybe I'm okay. I'm, I see this variable in my source text and I'm going to hit a keystroke and that's going to pop open an inspector and I can see, Oh, it's an object of this class. Okay. It's got these elements. Well, let's zoom in on yeah. that. Show me what mm -hmm. the, um, you know, what the monthly production field of that is. Oh, okay. That's an array of floating point numbers. Oh, oops. That one's wrong. Let me edit that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to call a function on it. That crashed. Oops, let me uh, let me go and edit the code of that function. And so it's kind of, you know, this environment where everything could be um, sort of explored, almost like hypertext, right? Yeah. Or, or like a like a website where you could navigate between uh, data elements in the running program and um, 
you know, sort of interactively edit source text. And it's just a, it's a totally different way of working, right? Like uh, e even the Python REPL or notebook is still very much a, uh, it's, it's like the, the butterfly that's been kind of pinned to the, the board and, and preserved, right? It's, you, yeah. you can, you can see it, you can kind of play with it, but you're not seeing it in action. You don't right. really have, you've, you've got, um, oh, you've got kind of static snapshots at points in time, but you, yeah. you don't really have the live object. And so that's, you know, yeah, I, I, I completely <clears throat> agree. People who haven't worked in an environment like that. Um, it's really VS Code though <clears throat> now, because you can run your, your Iron Python notebooks in VS Code, but then you can also have like the variable explorer. So yeah, can, yeah. Um, so but, there's, I, yeah, I, I would love to see more hooks and maybe the Jupyter uh, people will, will kind of build in that direction. Um, there's no reason you couldn't on top of Python, you know, it is the, the interpreters got all the hooks to kind of introspect objects at runtime. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's just like, I feel like with some of those languages, right. You've got people like us who weren't necessarily trained in yeah. coding, but under are very logical and understand yeah. logic and math and like coding. And so for someone like myself being able to go through essentially line by line and kind of debug yeah. and see how the logic works and see what is in which variable at what time and yeah. figure yeah. out why it's not working is a very helpful thing. Yeah. And I, and I like the repls from like, if I'm, especially if I'm working on something and I don't know what I want yet, but I'm right. getting it from an API. Right. Yep. Like I don't want to hammer that API every time I need to run yeah. the code, oh, yeah. like or yeah, yeah. save it to a JSON file and then write yeah. some subcode to go. Right. You know, I can just store that yeah. JSON object, you know, or even a data yeah. frame of that or whatever, and then I can iterate on just on that object from that step rather than having to re-pull it every time. Like, so I think our industry is actually really lucky in that we're a little bit slow to adopt right. things. Um, <clears> I say <throat> this. This is this is probably me just rambling about a current project. Um, for those of you who've never had to deal with this, how fortunate we are that our industry didn't really adopt web APIs until things had become predominantly JSON based. I'm going to put, <laughs> I'm going to put yeah. rest in massive scare quotes because there's this whole holy war over Roy Fielding's thesis and what really is rest. And basically my cards on the table. I think the original definition of rest is kind of dumb and useless, but like if you treat it as RPC over JSON, like RPC via JSON payloads over HTTP, like I think that works great, which is what we do anyway. Anyway, so the real thing is, had, had we gotten started 10 years earlier, everything would be freaking XML and soap. And I'm I'm working with a, a financial client, a financial industry client right now. And it's like, you know, they were earlier adopters. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I, I think technologies rise and fall basically proportional to um, how hard is it to figure out what is going on when all you have is a crash dump and a text editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and with JSON, that's a heck of a lot easier than it is with soap. So that's kind of my theory. No, of, yeah, um, I've had to touch a couple of XML evolution. things at different points, and it's like, why? Like, yeah, this is no, awful. It's, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's funny because it's like the concepts behind some of them are really good, right? yeah. like WitSML, having structure and yeah. naming conventions, and it's always in this format and this structure. But then it's like, yeah, yeah, you get into people, and they're like, no, it has to be this. It's yep. like, well, I could just replicate the database to your database, yep. and you actually have way more. You have the yeah, same data in, in a structured form where you don't have to write a bunch of code to ETL it the way you want it. But I, I think there's a whole through line between, um, let's see, some 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 odd touch points. I think kind of triangulate what. All right. Um, it's high modernism. There, there's this guy, James mm -hmm. C. Scott. He's a, I guess, a anthropologist, historian, anarchist, a little <laughs> bit of all three. Um, he's got this book called Seeing Like a State. And it, it's kind of this, this is, I promise there's a point to this. It, it's kind of this critique of how in the 20th century, um, yeah, well, actually not, not just the 20th century, but it, it took off in the 20th century. Um, the world saw this, this kind of um, wide spectrum of programs and, and policies that took the approach of like, we are going to have the perfect design top down, um, modernism, right? High modernism. Uh, like Cor Le Corbusier designing uh, cities that were these perfect geometric grids or mm -hmm. uh, the Soviet Union coming in and collectivizing uh, farms and trying to put a rational five-year plan on them. And I think there's just kind of this, um, uh, you know, there, there's this human hubris we have of, sorry, this is, this is, yeah. I, no. I view XML no, in I, the same, XML is like the, the, the WitML thing is the no. same category to me. There, there's no. a, there's also a Richard Gabriel essay that has to do with Lisp versus C called worse is better. And, I, the, the punchline of all this is like often in, in some field of human endeavor, there's kind of two approaches. One is 
Smart guys sit in a room, think of all the cases, and write down the perfect, flawless, shining, crystalline gem of a plan that's going to encompass everything. And the other plan is like, let's just Go. let people let's do their thing and see yeah. what happens, right? Let, let, whether you call it evolution or the free market or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but this idea of let's just let things kind of compete, naturally work out. And, you know, it, systems designed along the second, and, and a design may even be a misnomer. Um, systems that come about through that kind of organic evolution right. seem to last a little longer, be a little bit more robust. I mean, you look um, at all the open source stuff, all the yeah. languages, yeah. Blue, yeah. Like even Bluetooth, Wi Fi, like, yeah, yeah right. they were organized, but, I mean, but like, they're still. Yeah, mass like built by mm -hmm. a right. The the right. other classic essay would be um, the cathedral and the bazaar, right? Eric Raymond, I think, in the '90s had this kind of take on, um, you know, the development of of Linux versus kind of proprietary software, and this idea that, you know, maybe for some things it makes sense to have brilliant people sit in a room and and build right. their you know their flawless architecture, but for the kinds of things that have to interact with a lot of different yeah. edge cases, you, you yeah, do a little. But better. then you have. It may be flawless, but then it's flawless based on their biases. That, yeah, you know, and, I mean, and it's it's this thing that's perfectly right, crystallized to their well. I mean, it, what they know, know their biases, they, what they know, their right, you know, what they can't anticipate, they accounted yeah. for, right, right. It's uh, going back to Lisp. Lisp keeps coming up. I guess it's kind of a, a cultural touch point in programming, but um, you know, common Lisp. It, it it locked in all the best ideas of the mid '80s. So you you've got this um, vast kind of standard for everything that should be in. Uh, the standard library and how things should work and it it touches on oh all these concerns that were really pressing at the time like you know the different is my character set uh ascii or ebsodic or whatever and then of course it's like but what a, you know parallelism concurrency like that's not in there because right it wasn't it wasn't yeah. a thing you know, so <laughs> there's no yeah no, I think I think that it's a good point. Things have to be able to evolve if they want to have sustainability. Yeah, but they can't just be completely locked down without any room to grow. I mean, that's what right. you see with all the big big companies, right? Is it's right. like they round up a bunch of really smart people and then they put all these handcuffs and constraints on them right. and bureaucracy and IT, you know, right. permissions and all this stuff, and then they can't really right. grow it and evolve it like it should be if it was just open to to them. So kind of moving back a little more towards Terminus, like, yeah. I mean, so is it mainly like a lot of projects or do you guys have any products? Like, so we're, you know? we're always, we're like constantly one year away from a, a product. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've, we've looked at a few over the years. We, you know, the bulk of our work is, is consulting and we've kind of, I guess the, the interesting story is when we started, we were Terminus Data Science LLC. And of course, data science was, you know, sexiest job of the 21st yeah. century. And it, if, you, if anyone remembers that time, there were all these great Venn diagrams about uh, data scientists being a, a unicorn, right? You had to have, I think one was uh, domain knowledge and statistical and then knowledge science. and then programming or computer science. And then the intersection was data science. I thought, oh, that's great. That's exactly what we do. You know, that's that's so true. You know, if, if, if someone's yeah. got that intersection of skills or an organization does, they can really come in. They can make a big impact relative to their resources. You know, you kind of this this high leverage um, kind of approach. And of course, I, I don't. You know, I've, I've got a talk out there somewhere. I've, I've given variations on a couple of times called like "Save the Unicorns." I think we did this at, at Saga Wisdom, uh, Sokva Becker last year. And the the premise is that somewhere along the lines, we we got kind of caught up in in trying to be Google or or Facebook or emulate what was coming down from these massive Silicon Valley uh, tech companies, and and we sort of let that role of data science become this super specialized siloed thing. Um, I, I'm going to rag on data science because I, I see this on LinkedIn all the time. I've probably seen three posts in the last week that boil down to like. Companies need to invest in data pipelines or data engineering because otherwise the data scientists just don't have clean data to work with. And it's like, guy, I don't know what you think your job is, but right. that's what um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. If, if your role is to take pristine, normalized, uh, you know, flawless, well-defined data and plug it through, I guess, auto ML and then yeah. say, hey, boss, the R squared is 0.72. Yeah. What? I can get so hard to do that. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a big, um, I'm, I'm kind of an AI skeptic. I, I don't think chat GPT is going to take our jobs anytime soon, but that guy, I don't know. It, it may take his job. Yeah. That's not much of a, to, to <laughs> quote the, the consultants in office space. I mean, what is it you would say you do here? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Because I think that thing we call data engineering is actually closer to the, the sort of the spirit of what data science originally was, or at least a big piece of it. Um, you know, we, we kind of have this tendency to want to call things data cleaning or or I always, you know, in, in programming, we call it glue code, right? Which is, I suppose, if I were fancy, I would say it's ETL or maybe ELT. ELT, yeah, on, all right. <laughs> on how I, someone <laughs> like, will eventually clobber me over the head hard enough I understand the difference there. Um, but it, you know, it, it's The letters part, are arranged in a different order. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it, right. <laughs> so but, they're different. But right? fundamentally, you know, it, I, I don't know. I, I maybe I have this this um, archaic belief that a, a data scientist, or let's just say a a, um, a person in that that kind of hybrid role of domain expert with some statistical and, and software chops, it shouldn't be that big a deal to uh, you know say recode missing values in a table or yeah. uh, write a little bit of SQL right. to Structure join two sources. Yeah. Or it's yeah. not. Um, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle it. It's actually it's um it's foundational right yeah. it, it really if you can't get that right i i sort of question i think yeah. that's the i think that's yeah. where a lot of people There's, have the problem right is the sexy thing right is, is the end result it's like it's right. the models, 10 percent of the job right. Right. right but yes i completely agree with you the minute you start going down that rabbit hole even as a hobbyist right like oh shit i've got this api from this json now what right or you know, but, like looping but, through but a I mean, JSON. But just, getting, right. getting back to that Venn diagram, like, I mean, this is supposed to be the person that has a domain expertise. So you should be able to look at that data and say, like, mm -hmm. this yeah, data is wrong. not right. Like, right. Or, like, or I should be, these are, these are bad values I shouldn't kick out. The, like, I mean, like, yeah, for, for all I complain about, like, oh, they can't write SQL, which is a valid complaint. Yeah. But what's scarier is, is kind of taking the domain expertise out of the loop. I, I see right. data science becoming treated more and more like an IT function. And it's yeah, like yeah. data comes over the fence. Uh, I, you know, I won't name names, but it's like, I have been in conversations where the data science team have been asked to uh, forecast production. And so they, you know, went down all this rabbit hole of time series models and Arma and Arch versus Garch versus, and it's like, okay, but have you looked at ARPS? Like, yeah. What's ARPS? It's like, let me give you a citation from 1945. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying ARPS is the, the end all of BLF forecasting. What I'm saying is, you know, it, if you're coming at it from the angle of ARPS doesn't adequately capture the, you know, the transient behavior of unconventionals. Yeah, I totally agree as a reservoir engineer. If you're coming at it from an angle of, um, I'm going to take time series data, you know, it's just a generic time series and it, it right. could be widget sold per quarter, or it could be, well, maybe not, you know, there's a, there's a different set of physical phenomena behind well, it's not uh, seasonal. It's not you know, like, right. It, you know, it, de depletion drive is a little bit different than like seasonal trends and babies being born and how many diapers mm -hmm. people buy as a yeah. consequence. Um, different different mechanism right so we've, we've kind of de-emphasized the data science and our branding um just because you know we're we're, we're kind of not the prima donna that's going to come in and say yeah. i don't have so and, and and we've also discovered over the years that there's a lot of need for um automation and custom software and yeah. you know i, I always tell people because there, there's this whole argument of build versus buy and there's no right answer but what i do put, tell people and it, it's a little bit self-serving but it, it's also true or i believe it's true is that if you are, say, uh, you know, an EMP or you're an engineering consultancy or you're a, you know, a trading shop or a PE, whatever you are, um, if you've, you know, you've got some process you've designed, and if, if you really believe there's proprietary advantage in that, and, and you, you should, right? I mean, that's kind of your thesis if you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Um, there's pieces of that it does make sense to build versus buy. You know, you're not going to get that off the yeah, shelf. Right. So a lot of what we do is come in and help find that you know, maybe five or 10% of the overall process that really is core and, and special and proprietary and turn that into sort of robust software right. that, that makes it a repeatable, yeah. production ready, production ready yeah. process. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's <clears throat> a big thing for me too, that, you know, just getting into this over the years as a started out more as a hobby, but then became yeah. my job to a certain extent, you start to realize, right. It's like, you get so excited the first time you run whatever script or yeah. model or whatever locally on your, <laughs> yep. in your IDE or in R or whatever. And then you're like, okay, well shit, how do I get this so I can have it customer facing? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, that's, that's a lot different. Than, it's hard. Right. Now yeah, you've got to spin so up back hard. into architecture. You've got. And it's, and it's gotten. UI, UX. Mm -hmm. the, the more that we sort of chase the, um, you know, kind of what's coming from Silicon Valley. I mean, it, Google has a certain scale they operate at and they have a certain base of talent that they draw from and they have, I mean, literally just an, an army, right? Yeah. Like there are, yeah. Google has more programmers 
I'm, I'm now I'm like thinking about this thing about to my like Persian Gulf War stats. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know what rank they would be on the list of like largest armed forces in the world. But if you armed every programmer <laughs> at Google, they yeah. would be in the top 10, right? Yeah. Like they would they would compare favorably to a lot of countries in the world just yeah. to share headcount. And and so, you know, the, the kind of process that makes sense when you need to make an organization right. with literally, you know, tens of thousands of people um, sort of function in a, in a plug and play way. Um, very different. There's trade-offs they're going to make that don't make sense when it's, you know, 10 guys in a server in the closet. <laughs> yeah. And that's not, that's not to knock the 10 guys in a server no, in the closet. That's no, actually but, a lot of my favorite clients yeah. are, are kind of at that scale. Um, but probably launching like a Kubernetes cluster on AWS is not going to be the cost effective way to help them achieve their, right. their, yeah, their goals. Their right? And so it's, yeah, exactly. So there's, um, you know, there, there's just kind of like a scale awareness that we've got to, we, we've got to build in the industry. Yeah. So when, you know, what are some, if you can speak, however much you can speak to it, but what are some of your favorite projects you've done? And then also what are you guys oh, yeah. using? I know you've yeah, started well, using some Rust lately, but is it a yeah. lot of Python? Well, I mean, what tools, what oh, databases, man. So we do, yeah, we do a little bit of everything. I'll, my, my like general advice on databases is you can, for, I'm going to hang some asterisks on this. I'm a reservoir engineer. I work in a lot. Most of my clients are dealing with, um, Maybe production data, maybe uh, daily or monthly financial data. Time, what I'm really getting at is we're not series. we're not dealing with like 3D seismic. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll caveat it. We, we don't have some of the super high volume geoscience stuff. But man, in our industry, like it is it is shocking to come across a workload you can't handle with Postgres. Yeah, and I I love Postgres. I mean, I, you know, obviously we've got a lot of Microsoft heritage in the oil and gas industry, so you find a lot of like SQL Server, and that's mm -hmm. fine. Um, but man, SQL Server with with its you know kind of its geospatial stack or Postgres with PostGIS covers so many of the needs of of what we have in the yeah. industry. And you can people will another fun like ETL versus ELT. The other one I can never remember is OLAP versus OLTP. Yeah, right. <laughs> and in my head, it turns into like because I mean it this, but I translate it to like row oriented versus column oriented because that's what I really that's what people use it to mean in practice. Right. Um, but you you know you. For most of our workloads, like it, it's a distinction that doesn't really matter yeah. a lot of what we well, do. Well, that's one of the things I'm learning as someone who hasn't ever had to set up any kind of backend infrastructure. It's like uh, use the tool that makes the most sense yeah. from a cost and functionality standpoint that you've got at yeah. the time. Hopefully, you can also try and forecast out what this will be yeah. a couple years, but yeah, there's also a chance that there might be something that comes along that's better and cheaper or yeah, and you, yeah. you change to your scope you, too. Like, you, right. That's I was just going to say, like, it's you, you can't plan. You, you don't know what's coming, but you you can plan for how do I build this in such a way that right. I'm not hooked to super specific yeah, features. This cloud this vendor, this database. Or, this, you know, yeah, like, exactly. And that's a that's a huge chunk of. So our kind of talk about favorite projects, like we're, we're in an odd niche and that a lot of our clients do not even have necessarily an IT department. Yeah. We, we've got a lot of clients yeah. that are small EMPs or uh, maybe small consulting firms, small, might, might be like a, you know, a PE shop or, or a non-op. I assume that makes it easier sometimes. You know, it, f yes and no, right? So, you know, it kind of like yeah. talking about the, the, the modern data scientist and how it's very much like, oh, please spoon feed me like perfect data. I, I think those guys would come in and be totally lost. Um, but for us, we, you know, we find a lot of our clients don't necessarily have, they, they may have it one or two people in house, or maybe a contract shop that helps them like, you know, manage kind of the traditional it right. stuff of like, keep the email server going yeah. and, you know, windows logons. Um, but a lot of what we do is greenfield, but it also is greenfield in a way that like, we know we've got to leave something that requires minimum maintenance. Yeah. And right. so that what's funny is it actually nudges us away from a lot of what's popular right now. If you look at things like Python, and right. a lot of pros and cons to Python, but pragmatically, one of the big issues with Python is what a pain in the, the butt it is to, uh, to package up a Python sort of uh, program with its, with, an, with its environment, right? With its dependencies and yeah, with right. all the, and so there's there's 10 different mutually exclusive approaches people have come up with to this. And, you know, I think what we've kind of standardized on, we being the industry, is just like slap it in a Docker container and ship that. Um, oh, yeah. But then you're trying to explain Docker containers to the <laughs> yeah. to the <laughs> IT the guy, person, and, uh, yeah. and it's like, so you, you know, you, it actually nudges us in some cases toward things that are like, um, 
oh, statically linked compiled executables, right? And that's so like come back to Rust or even C++, yeah. you know, there's cases where it's like, hey, I can leave you this executable and it's going to run for the next 20 freaking years. Right. Yeah. And as long as I get it right, it, yeah. as long as I get it right the first time, you know, um, there's there's some value in that. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 kind of build in ways that are a little bit different than what you do if you have a full sort of, uh, uh, you know, what's the buzzword devops type yeah, team or, right or things sure. like that yeah an existing tech stack yeah that's beyond, yeah beyond and, the email and servers. so we you know we talk about favorite projects like i'm a again this is this, this has been like the 20-year the journey of like how do i finally get back into the the, the thing i always kind of wanted to do which is sort of like programming for its own uh <laughs> its own sake um some of the most interesting projects I think we've had actually are are kind of these weird cross-disciplinary ones where uh, we have an, a very industry-specific problem, but there turns out to be sort of this this other lens you can look at it through that looks a lot more like something else that, that say, uh, we've known in computer science since the 60s or 70s. And, and like one that comes to mind is how many problems actually turn out to be sort of uh, language problems, language yeah. translation problems, or or maybe better put like how many tools that we need for a, a lot of different random stuff look sort of like compilers if you squint. Um, and so I've, I've worked on some of my favorite projects involve like, hey, translating Aries lines to, you know, um, production forecasts. And, and when you get into like the fact that Aries economic lines are, are really kind of their own uh, programming language, you end up building, you know, literally a parser and, and something that is kind of like a tiny compiler that, uh, you know, translates from, from Aries uh, syntax trees to, you know, whatever your output is or um, this. So I'll, I guess I'll pitch our, our product. Yeah, it's like constantly please. one year from, from coming out, which is this thing that grew out of a, actually was a, I, I have a friend of mine um, is involved in SPWE, the, um, the reserves guys, yeah. society of petroleum evaluation engineers. Right. And um, they, they were interested in a, a, a talk on uh, Monte Carlo methods and, yeah. and sort of, so I, I gave one back in, I think it was February this year on, maybe it's been longer. No, God, that was February of last year. Sorry, there's been a, there's been a whole toddler in between. <laughs> so that's like, brain's kind of fried. Black out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, and, and so the, the talk I gave was on kind of pitfalls of Monte Carlo and, and how, you know, in, especially in, in uh, petroleum economics or reservoir engineering, some of the things we, we often tend to miss, like, uh, you know, correlation between uh, assets or, or outcomes and, and things like, uh, you know, modeling the decisions you're going to make in the course of a project. Um, and along the way, I, I kind of discovered like, oh, man, I really want to make this like an interactive show and tell. I looked at Crystal Ball. I looked at At Risk. It's like, OK, this kind of sucks. Like, this is ugly and slow. Um, and so I guess I, I, for whatever reason, had a lot of time on my hands the weekend before this thing. And I, I actually ended up building like a kind of a Monte Carlo uh, modeling language, probabilistic modeling language prototype with um, yeah, kind of like we talked about the, you know, the, the difference between a REPL and like a, a truly interactive shell. And so it's got this interactive GUI where you can, you know, for every variable in your model, you can look at the, you know, the, the uh, univariate or, or, okay. or bivariate stats and, and see all these plots on the fly. And it's fast and yada, yada. So we, I've been, I've been slowly trying to turn that into a product for uh, a couple of years now. And it just, I don't, you know, in, in the consulting world, everything's very, uh, time sensitive, interrupt driven. So, you, yeah. you know, well, when a business is good, then yeah, you know, yeah, it's kind of this catch like, 22 of like, you actually, all, all your product work ends up kind of happening on like bad years. So by definition, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that's, that's something we're looking at and probably, you know, I've, I've said this with the caveat i've said this that'd be industry agnostic like, that's more like just some money so or, what we what we really want to do is is build in the um kind of the, the the primitives right like the distributions and the the operators and the features that would make it very attractive for building uh sort of simple quick look petroleum economic models and and what we have in mind is kind of like the, the, so it's, it's kind of around what what is hard to model in some of the existing tools right. and that's things like hey i've got a pilot program and, um, you know, if the pilot exceeds this threshold, I'm going to move on to appraisal. And if that exceeds right. the threshold, I'm going to move on to development. Okay. And hey, also, like, because these are all drilled in the same basin, like, there's going to be a correlation between my my pilot, right? If like, The well's within my pilot and the well's within my appraisal. And it's just, it, it's, it, I'm not saying it can't be done, but it, it's somewhat challenging to model those in, in the yeah. tools that are out there. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and if you don't model them, you, you end up... Um, sort of well it can go either way you you can end up lopping off a lot of upside 
because you don't recognize that. Um, actually, that's that's the incorrect way to say that. You you can end up failing to lop off a lot of downside because what you've modeled in is like a, a program where you're hell bent on drilling. And so if you right. don't if you don't build in yeah, that yeah. exit gate after your pilot, you know you you suddenly your economics look terrible because you've yeah you've you've said you're going to go full steam ahead no matter what. Right. It's like the assumption that hey, even though we drill this well, or like if the well produces zero barrels of oil, we're going to continue drilling for right. We're right, just like, going to keep yeah. Keep no, I've never money thought about the, that with yeah. the Monte Carlo stuff because I mean that's yeah. a I worked for. Uh, basip for yeah a very short period selling their uh reservoir modeling or reservoir sim stuff and basin modeling stuff and i found that fascinating how many yeah. just how many knobs there are to tweak to yeah. turn on a reservoir model and yeah. like it just overwhelmed the shit out of me because yeah. it's like this is just on a single well yeah right and it's like now we've got hundreds of these and a producing field like you've got so many very like there's yeah. so many variables on just a well yeah right outside of all the rock shit which yeah. like yeah but then it's you incredible. start throwing those in and we've seen so much over the last man decade of like this evolution of like frack hits right and how yeah. the the actual operating activity is affecting your production yeah. and your new stuff and your old stuff and like it's all yeah. one giant system ultimately and yeah. so that's that's really cool that yeah. you're looking at being able to put in those because it's yeah. it's reality right? yeah like, and it's and you know, you're not I mean, gonna go always, drill a hundred wells if they all if the first 10 make zero right <laughs> yeah and and so and then like cynically i mean like the, the the one problem with any probabilistic modeling exercise in the oil field is we we quantify all these because we're, we're reservoir well I say yeah we, i'm a reservoir engineer i've worked with reservoir engineers and we we have some intuition or some idea for how to quantify the uncertainty like well i think the distribution of porosity might be this and i think the distribution of permeability might be this and we're going to build up these hundred variables and simulate the thing out. And then it's like, okay, we're going to slap three different price decks on it. Right. And it's like, you know, $20, 50. It, mm -hmm. So it, you, the, the financial, you know, the, the fiscal and, and regulatory. And I think that uncertainty kind of dominates and there's not a, yeah. a nice way around that. Or if there were, I'd, I'd be a much wealthier man. Yeah. <laughs> very different place. Maybe there was a Renaissance or some of the quants that think they really cracked the code. Um, Anyway, I don't know. Maybe they've got it, but uh, but you know, we we want to kind of make it easier at least to, no, no, to quantify really the uncertainty that we can't quantify. No, that'd be really cool. Well, just having, I mean, having a, a process or a model that represents more of a realistic yeah. scenario, right? I think that's yeah. Anybody who has ever used any kind of model, whether it's yeah. reservoir simulation or any of the stuff that we did in yeah. college, right? It's like a model is a model, right? Yeah. It's only as good as the inputs and it's only a model. Yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it oh, has yes. to account for all of they're the variables. They're all wrong with useful. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct. Yeah. It's just how right, how good at being right sometimes are they? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately. That, that came up so much in, in data science projects too, is like people people fix it on R squared or accuracy. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what you really, you, you know, that, that accuracy is always kind of bad, right? Like we, there's so yeah. many unknowns. It's a directionality almost. subsurface like. stuff especially. So what, Right, exactly. So what, what we were always trying to push people toward is, well, all right, the accuracy is what it is, but let's let's use this to build some intuition yeah. of what drives what, right? right? Like I've got X1 through X10, let's pull out X3 versus yeah. Y and see what that incremental, you know, well, or marginal. And then, then it comes down to also, there's the explainability side of it too, like yeah. where people can actually yeah. like understand what the hell's going on. Like a linear regression is way yeah. easier for someone to look <laughs> oh, at on yeah. the thing and understand like, right. and yeah, maybe you're, right. you know, you know, deep learning model might right. be more accurate, but like no one knows what the hell it's doing. Right. Like, no, it's, you, can't you know, so if it's so within a certain yeah. error margin, like yeah. use a linear model because people can look at that and like understand yeah. at least yeah. intuitively what the. Yeah. That's, I mean, don't, don't sleep on those simple models either, especially no. for yeah. BI stuff. Right. Like yeah. I've been, I worked at a company and I started playing around with some of the Python, uh, I think it was, or not Python in, uh, in Spotfire, some of the, uh, regression analysis yeah. and stuff that's built in and, you know i was in on the sales side at the time and so i was like oh let's throw in like yeah. oil prices rig count yep. completion part like all the permits i threw as much stuff in there as i possibly could yep and guess what the biggest impact like 80 plus percent on our revenue was oil price and yeah. it trailed oil price by a quarter and it was perfect like it's a yeah. great yeah. linear yeah. but no, had i never so done many, that and, right, the like, principle and i thought it was going to be this like yeah Oh well, it's going to be based off rig count right. or permits or whatever. It's like no, it's well that drives all those things, right? Too, right? Exactly. Like there's, it's, there's it's uh, so many things in our industry where if you if you can kind of transform the variables so they they play nice with linear models or I, I also yeah. like random forests and, and kind of decision tree models. Yeah, got some of the same flavor. But yeah, you can show a right. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a flow chart here's of how like it, if it works. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
yeah, it just it, it's amazing how we seem to want to jump to like the most complex possible thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you also have to be comfortable just like knowing that, hey, there are probably other factors in this and right. I need to be cognizant of them that I might not be taking it into account right. with this. But right. for what I've got, this is the best representation of it. Right. It's yeah. never going to be perfect. Right. Cool. That was that was a quick hour. Yeah, that was very quick. <laughs> yeah, um, this has been really good. Yeah, but we usually uh, end with like a kind of a lightning round. Just, you know, okay. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Try to keep it at one word, but yep. Sometimes short can't. sentence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll jump in one. What is who is one of your favorite or biggest kind of influences, either in general or in the tech space or? Edsger Dijkstra. We can say oil and gas space. Tech. Edsger Dijkstra, first Dutch programmer. Uh, was a professor mathemat kind of mathematician turned computer mm -hmm. scientist and uh you can look him up he's got a lot of really great kind of grumpy old man yeah uh, no those are my favorite a lot of things is he active on any kind of like social no, he anything died, like he's uh, dead years okay. ago okay yeah yeah <laughs> what's your you know favorite uh open source tool or you know vim pro vim okay yeah. <laughs> What, what is that it's a it's text editor it's a, oh. it's a, it's yeah. a 70s text is editor. that the one that i that the, well that i might have found or used uh maybe i mean you may have been stuck in it because you couldn't exit it yeah I, I i live in <laughs> now like you have to like i forget what it, it's like qi or like there's like colon q and yeah or or i think you can do exclamation capital Z or, yeah i don't know uh, but i have to look it up but it's kind of like a meme at this point like how to yeah. how to exit vim <laughs> <laughs> um what is one of your favorite books Ooh. both in general and tech related or engineering related either one okay moby dick um everyone should read moby dick but um tech oh that's a that's a actually a challenging one let me I'm, it's like i'm I'm trying to you can give a cover like design i'm gonna i'm gonna you can't narrow it down it's hard hmm yeah i don't know i'm gonna punt on that one that's i know it's terrible yeah. but i'm like i'm kind of drawing a blank I, i'd say there's there there are reference books i come come back to over and over again but yeah. a lot of them are like types and programming languages ben right. Pierce, but that's a if you go on my github you'll see i have weird hobbies so some of these answers aren't gonna necessarily make sense in our industry no that's why i love that's why i like it yeah what's your uh what's your favorite like managed service oh so you're you're heavy like coder type. Oh, so God. I, mean, I I try to avoid them. I, yeah. I run our so I I Linode. I've, I've had good luck with Linode over the years. Um, for for our servers, they just got bought out. I think by Akamai. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Um, AWS confuses and frightens me. <laughs> I I love Terraform for one reason, which is I don't have to know AWS CLI. Like, yeah, I can just kind of like have a but, but I also try to avoid being in a situation where I need that. Right. That's <laughs> true too. What's uh, one thing you could nerd about, nerd out about, and spend hours talking about? Oh, uh, I mean, a, a bunch of things. Besides what? Yeah, besides, besides the tech stuff. Yeah, maybe something outside tech of tech. Oh, um, more engineering. Oh, probably uh, like military aviation. Okay, cool. Scotch, cool. yeah. Scotch distilleries. Scotch distilleries go. on in That's a good one. the islands off the coast of Scotland. Nice. Um, That's perfect. I'm, I'm right. right there with you on the whiskey side. But. <laughs> um make a prediction of what the future of energy or energy tech looks like in 10 years what's one of the biggest impacts you think that's coming down the pipe in the next 10 years mm. in energy specifically man i hate making predictions about the future the beauty of it is that no yeah. one's gonna no one's My gonna hear this yeah data science right you should so be i what I, what I maybe this is more of a hopeful prediction what does your linear regression I, model say? I think what needs to happen is we need to pull data science, data analytics, data management, even to an extent, back out of, of being seen as kind of an IT function and, and pull it back into being a core engineering or, yeah. or business or, or basically see it as a profit, not, not only see it as a profit center, rather yeah, a, a, cost a, center. a cost center, but also the people managing that and frankly the people doing that work day to day need to be the domain experts not kind of um so i, I don't it, it ties into longer term like you know predictions about well is the tech industry kind of in the middle of a as as we are going to learn what's warren buffett's saying like when the when the tide goes out you're going to learn who's been swimming with no yeah. 
pants on, right? Yeah. So like as we kind of come out of a zero interest rate environment and venture capital gets tighter, I think you're seeing contraction in the tech industry. And I, I think that's gonna drive some people to look elsewhere for employment. I think we may pick up some talent from that, which I think can be a good thing. God, I but you, but you have to blood. upskill them on the But you've side. also got to bring them in as domain experts because the last thing we need is a bunch of ex-Googlers coming in and saying, oh, I know what y'all need. Yeah. A freaking Kubernetes cluster. <laughs> yeah. When the yeah. real problem yeah. is like, man, I've got, you know, LOS statements over here yep. and, um, you know, basically, you, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to do what amounts to a VLOOKUP yeah. and some guy comes in and says like, oh, let's throw Kubernetes at it. Well, right. That's, that's not just yet. <laughs> but I think what, you know, maybe hopefully what I, what I want to see is a, a little bit of a rationalization around kind of, you know, we've been so, we've gone from being kind of a slow adopter to frankly, I think an, an over aggressive adopter of like mm -hmm. the shiny new thing and, and how many companies have jumped on. Whatever, uh, whatever Hadoop. Yeah. That's a yeah. great one. I'm like, oh, I yeah. dodged the freaking Hadoop. I remember bullet. when yeah. I, I, my, my career, like, and maybe it's just technology in general. Cause I haven't been in, you know, I'm not that old, but, um, I mean, I burnt to death of Hadoop, man. Just like, I remember what they and, were pushing uh, the shit out of. Yeah. And, and, but then, and it was incredible how fast it died was amazing yeah, too. Cause that, it was like, I mean, I was, true. you know, yeah. it was 2014 and I was starting to dabble and like trying to right. figure out what technology. And I kind of pushed that one off and then like, yeah. All of a sudden, it was like two years later, like, he, no, no one talked about it. Yeah, no one no, talked about it. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's kind of a broader thing. But, like, I, I would love to see us, people, I, I would love to see people focus more on the fundamentals. Like, yeah. understanding relational data and understanding, you know, what are the advantages of, of row-oriented versus column-oriented storage. Just good quality data. Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> like, that's eternal, very right? Yeah. Yeah. But knowing the details of Hadoop or Snowflake or whatever next year's thing is, like, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. They very much so. Yeah. Get, it get, matters, but it's also kind of ephemeral, they right? Get, and so we they get force fed, you yeah. know, the new shiny things by the consultants and the big yep. three and all those guys, and it's yeah, it's so, it's good to be cognizant of it. But so don't go I would, tell your devs we need to implement this today because right. Gardner said it. So I hope we kind of calm down. I hope I hope yeah. we kind of get some maturity and, and say, yeah. well, all right, we don't have to chase a new shiny, but let's let's think about what we're really trying to do and and what makes sense for sure. So. On that kind of, <laughs> what's your what's a bleeding edge tech or something that you're actually pretty bullish on? Ooh, okay. Um, Chat GPT has been like eighty percent of this answer. So you yeah. Can, so all right, I'll give I know you, you have I'll, opinions. I'll on give that, you a hot so take on curious. AI. I, yes. I, I don't think Chat GPT is going to take programming jobs anytime soon. Um, I, so my wife and I actually did a we we did a terminus webinar back over I think over Christmas break on Chat GPT mm. three when that first came out and. You know, we we do this Abino code is this kind of yearly yeah. coding competition that we we kind of do the first like week of every year and then get you know it just takes hours and <laughs> yeah. hours you know, like, forget this. Um, but we actually we started doing this competition like John Henry versus the steam engine where you you know she would run GPT and then I would try to solve the problem. First three days kind of they're like basic interview level questions. It it actually smoked the human. I mean like the, the leaderboard was all um, you know GPT generated code. I like day five or six though it was it was failing and and what what i've noticed is it it really just it is really good at producing an answer that looks superficially plausible and yeah. then you like zoom in and look and you're like this is nonsense yeah. or you copy yeah. and paste it so i don't i don't you're like, oh. you know i i see it as kind of like a i use it almost more like a search engine because mm -hmm. google yep. oh, google's yeah, gone to hell chasing the, the seo thing so you know I'll, I'll type in like hey i'm looking for a a plotting library for rust that can show me mm -hmm. you know heat maps of uh spatial data or whatever yeah. and it'll say like oh it's called blah 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 and then half the time that doesn't exist but you know whatever it's still better than google yeah i think that's, unfortunately that's the scary part um, of gpt it's as far as it is sometimes yeah as far as what i think is promising um dumb programming language nerd answer is like i i, I love that we're living through the resurgence of static types and, and functional mm. programming i think rust and even like c sharp newer versions to an extent are taking those ideas and making them mainstream. And I think it's a nice correction in this eternal pendulum of like Java to Python to, um, you know, hopefully something that looks a lot more like that. That's that's going to affect the way we do things a little bit. I, I think Python's not a not a, a, a sustainable substrate to build uh, engineering tools on. I, yeah. I think it's comical. It's kind of become the language of engineering. You know, when you think about what do you need? Well, I need correctness. I need fast, uh, you know, I, I need right. good performance for yeah. floating point code. And I need, um, you know, I need something I can leave on a server and run for 20 years. Yeah. Like, well, Python yeah. checks none of those freaking boxes. <laughs> um, so true. I would love to see, you know, you know, like I said, kind of a return to, hey, let's let the computer help us with code correctness. Let's use static types. Let's, um, 
you know, let's let's take advantage of some patterns that minimize the, the complexity of the systems we build. Uh, I know the answer you're fishing for, so I'll say it because I, I agree. This is this is interesting too. It, it is interesting to see kind of a, a move. Um, you know, we lived through the wave of NoSQL and kind of the yeah. document store thing, which boiled down to, and I, I had this saying, I've probably said over and over, and I've had to say it less recently, which is like, there's no such thing as unstructured data. There's just data you haven't sat down and figured out the structure yeah, yet. Right. Like it's it's kind of like, um, well, yeah, Mongo's an easy button. Why yeah, you figure things out? But eventually, the, you land on a scheme. It's the like, equivalent of, of as a kid, you know, your mom says clean your room, and you just like put all your shit in the closet. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's clean, I guess. But then at some point, someone's gonna have to go in there. She goes comes to roost. Yeah, yeah. Put your shirts up, and it all falls out. Right. So I, you know, I, I'll say no, no sequel. Circa 2010s d- didn't impress me that much. I do think it's interesting to see though some of the newer generation of like column oriented stores, and so I, I would, in the same spirit as like the weird, you know. Uh, schizo board full of pens yeah. connecting James C. Scott and, and Lisp. And <laughs> I, I see the same thing when I think about like what's happening in game development and and a move away from uh, kind of these big object oriented uh, simulations to things like uh, entity component systems. Um, same idea. We're, we're, we're seeing a, across a whole category of, of or a, a multiple categories of application that sometimes it makes sense not to look at things in kind of a, a row oriented or object oriented or, um, you know, here's this is a well and it has these five attributes right. and this yeah. one has these five attributes. But instead, flip it around and say, here's these five attributes. Sorry. And uh, and these these 10,000 wells all have those attributes because that, that plays a lot nicer with modern computer architecture in terms of yeah. performance for, for doing certain operations. Right. So when we, when we talk about OLTP versus OLOP, like that's fundamentally one of the big distinctions there is like do you need to do do you need fast uh updates and inserts and and reads on a kind of a row level like yeah. show me uh here's 10 here's ten thousand transactions at you know right. this walmart like time series or do you stuff, do yeah. you need a, a fast operation of um total up you know um you know total category a sales plus total category b sales plus total category c sales across all walmarts in the world yeah. Um, and, and, and there's a trade off there. There's, you know, in terms of how you orient the data. And so I do, I see things like DuckDB and, uh, other cloud offerings, which I won't be clown myself by yeah. pretending to know which ones are oriented, which way. Um, yeah, I mean, most of like the, but the big ones, are like Snowflake, BigQuery, yeah. Redshift, all the modern. BigQuery is a columnar from what I understand. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, I, I think that makes sense for certain applications that we yeah. do. Well, cool. Awesome. Well, now I'm in where, uh, John's got no, I was just oh going to say, where can people find you? What's your? Oh, I'm uh, pretty easy to find. Uh, if you look, you know, our Terminus website, I've, I've got a blog at usethe.computer. It, it doesn't often have to do with oil and gas, but a lot of interesting programming tidbits where we try to, uh, mostly I try to take kind of interesting things from um, the wider world of, uh, of programming or computer science and, and make them semi-accessible or at least uh, in Python, which is kind of what we yeah. have to do i guess to reach people these days um but yeah so linkedin um github Derek turk on on github i've got a bunch of uh, things out there uh in various states of completion yeah. or not and some of them are even oil and gas related or or energy related yeah no that's that's uh there's you got quite a bit of stuff on there it's good that's why yeah. I wanted, that's why i brought it up so people can go check it out uh what's what's the website uh, terminus. Oh, terminus, de- uh, terminus, Got it. Yeah. Keep cool. it simple. Yeah. Appreciate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, no, for, thanks for being me. on and, um, also, you know, make sure if people like the, uh, yeah. If you guys like what we're doing, please go, uh, give us a review, like, and follow the, uh, the DW pages and, uh, we'll see y'all next time. Appreciate All it. Right. While some may see them as the crazy ones. We see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.